Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I'm honored to share with you the philosophy that has underscored my personal and professional life and explore how osteopathy truly is for the health of all things. I see these principles in action every day in my varied roles as physician, parent, athlete, writer, musician, coach, and entrepreneur, and hope they will light the way for the path to your best health. Please note that while I am a physician, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Thank you for joining me for episode 27 of season one of this osteopathic life. I don't know how the week or the month has been for you, but it has been a whirlwind in my neck of the woods. And somehow it is the 13th of September. And it is Friday the 13th of September. And it is a full moon and a harvest moon. And there are so many interesting energies and events happening for so many people. And it's mind-boggling to me that this is where we are. I had a discussion now, nearly three weeks ago, planning for an event on the 24th of September and thinking at that time, oh good, I bought myself some time and I needed some preparation work to be done. And it seemed like there were so many days, so many hours, so many possibilities. And then school started and work got busier and some unexpected challenges and opportunities arose and it was like a whirlwind and a fast forward and here we are midway through the month on a most interesting evening and an extra week has gone by between recording of podcasts and I really can't see where the day would have come that I would have been able to sit down and do this and even this moment right now is a little bit of an unexpected bonus where my children are all with friends, my husband is away for work, and so I have the quiet space in our house to be able to sit down and collect these thoughts that I've had since nearly the time of the previous episode, put them together into hopefully a cohesive episode. So in the course of this long week, which has really been two to three weeks, and for sure at least these 13 days, I've been thinking about a conversation that came up with some patients, and it often happens this way. For my colleagues generally, and particularly perhaps in my specialty of neuromusculoskeletal medicine and osteopathic manipulative medicine, I often find that I'll get batches of similar complaints or similar findings on exam or similar responses to a particular technique at that point in time. And in residency, we often thought about it as kind of a gift from the universe as a learning opportunity where you might get one particular rib dysfunction and you did a decent job, but your attending had to help you tune it up a bit. And then a few patients later, the same dysfunction would present and it gave you a chance to refine your skills. You know, in, in that moment, take what you learned, what you did well, what you could have done better, 
and hone it at that time. And by the third or fourth presentation that day or that week, you felt more competent. You were ready to deal with something that you hadn't been just a few hours or days earlier. And a conversation, a question came up from a patient about the frequency of treatment. How often should they come back for a reevaluation? How long should the treatment last? You know, should they expect to come back once a week, once a month, once a quarter, once a year, or just call when they need to? And often that dialogue you know, goes something like this, where in residency, again, we talked about working ourselves out of patients. You know, ideally, if we're treating to the health, we get the patient there and they stay well and they don't need to keep coming back. But life continues to happen. And the more I've thought about that and the more I've encountered people in various stages of their life with various challenges and exposures, I can see where that continuum can shift. And there's a right rhythm for each person and that may vary you know, at certain times in their lives, certain seasons of the year. And any of those frequencies can be an option and they can be reasonable you know, for finding something to treat, if they're making improvement, if they're able to stay off of medications, if they're able to maintain a high functional status and continue to work and sleep well and be kinder to their family and a stronger contributor to their community. You know, there are benefits to having this treatment that helps keep them functional. But as I was having the discussion this past week, it went on an unexpected, I'd say tangent, maybe just a new path. I found a new way into the woods of this inquiry, and it brought me back to an experience earlier this year in the winter when I was living and working back in Michigan in my clinic happened to be next door to this fabulous coffee shop called Higher Grounds. It's in the village in the Grand Traverse Commons in Traverse City, Michigan. So if you're ever in Michigan and Northwest Michigan, I highly encourage you to stop by. The coffee is lovely. The mission is even better. Um, They work on creating sustainable economies and paying a fair wage and creating opportunities in the native lands of the coffee bean. And they're active in the local community as well. And one of my favorite on-site perks or values that they honor and they sustain and they stand by, even if it perhaps causes them to lose some business, I think it enriches the experience and likely brings other people back for the same reason. And so if you're like me and like many in the world are trying to minimize single-use plastics and waste and practice more of a reusable, sustainable culture, bringing your own coffee cup is a goal and it doesn't always happen. You know, and I'll, I've been there where you think, oh, I just want to get this coffee and I forgot my cup. Am I going to go and use this paper cup? And I really don't want to. Higher Grounds has implemented a policy that they won't use paper cups or plastic lids and they have coffee mugs and they get them donated and they find them at garage sales and they keep them on the wall. And if you order something to go or for there, obviously, you receive it in any number of unique mugs and you are 
encouraged to keep it if you like, to return it if you want, to bring other mugs from an overgrown collection at your home. But that's what they will give you. And for some people, this is upsetting because if you want to get in your car, you know, it's hot liquid, it's at risk of spilling. And they're willing to, again, accept that maybe loss of business for the benefit of what it means for the sustainability of the planet and their core values. And so for me, I would have to walk next door. And it wasn't very far, but it is challenging to walk with a cup of coffee and not spill it. And during this winter time, they would have a seasonal latte, and they were delicious. There was lavender, and there were rose, and there were mochas, and I would often partake in the seasonal special. And sometimes we would take turns, you know, someone was manning the clinic, and someone else would go and get the beverages. Maybe I shouldn't say manning. Someone was attending to the clinic, and one of us would volunteer to run over and get a beverage. And there was one day when two of us were able to go and I got the latte and so it had foam on the top whereas my colleague got regular coffee. And as we walked back, I had no trouble. There was no spilling and my colleagues was sloshing all over the place and we thought, geez, you know, why is it so much harder to just carry this plain cup of coffee? And both of us looked at each other and just said, physics. And recognizing that there was you know, surface tension or you know, some component that was associated with keeping the latte contained and keeping this kind of force holding liquid in the cup versus just the plain coffee in the other. And maybe in the retelling, it's not so hysterical as it was at the time, but it felt very enlightening. You know, like we had the answer, this one word, physics, of course. And... I'll bring this back around to what I'm talking about with the treatment of patients. But as I did some research for this episode and Googled why some coffee is prone to spilling, there was an article in Smithsonian Magazine from November 2014 by an author, Rachel Neuer, N-U-W-E-R, and I'll put the link in the show notes, talking about how it's so hard to carry coffee, putting coffee to the table, but beer often can make it on a tray, around a bar, you know, with a lot of jostling and not spill, and it comes down to the foam. And physicists took their time and researched this. So my colleague and I were onto something, and physicists have supported our observational status. And looking at how foam, particularly five bubbles deep, interestingly, is kind of one of those key levels creates tension and absorbs waves that prevents the excess movement. So you can read the article for yourself and you can run experiments at home, see at what level of foam and at what level of movement you're still able to prevent spilling. And why I bring this up, why this came back to me during these conversations about length of duration of treatment was a secondary observation of the fidget spinners that have maybe not fallen out of favor a little bit, but they were all the rage for a while, and I have three young children, and they would get them as gifts or give them as gifts. And I commented at one point, you know, if the bearings 
you know, were perfect, it could spin forever. And my husband counterpointed me and he said, well, no, because they're not going to be perfect. There's going to be imbalance and gravity will come into play and particles and air friction. It kind of rained on the parade of me trying to impress my children that these fidget spinners could go on forever. And my rebuttal to that was, well, in space they could, you know, if they weren't subject to these pieces. And so subsequent investigation, they've, of course, investigated this, you know, with NASA and thinking about all that has been launched into space and that continues to move and orbit. And similar commentary on the fidget spinner, it would spin for longer than it would on Earth in the vacuum of space, but it would still be subject to the perfection and the integrity of the bearings. And at some point they would wear out, you know, so there would be some limitation there as well. And so all of this to say, when I had a patient ask me, how long would this treatment last? I used my comparison of the treatment being like nudging a boat into the current. You know, we're not forcing change in the body. We're finding places of ease, balancing tension, acknowledging the integration within the body, looking at the influence of mind and spirit on the physiology and the reverse of that relationship as well. In inviting and encouraging the inherent healing forces within the body, those forces that have taken us from embryo to fully formed being, and allowing them to take over and to get things back to their state of balance and honoring the health that is there. In an ideal world, there could be a nudge and there could be an opening and we could get into that current and into the flow. We talked a little bit about flow in the last episode and it would go on forever, right? If we, you know, we're at neutral and everything in our body was in alignment, I hesitate to use that word a lot, but thinking of it that way, everything was moving freely and smoothly and in an appropriate relationship with the muscles and the tissues and the nervous system was communicating and lymphatics were draining well and arterial and venous flow was unimpeded. Ideally, your treatment would go on forever. And it doesn't. Because we don't have perfect bearings. We don't have a frictionless system. We run into things pretty frequently in the world, very frequently in this past week, you know, physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally. And so we need subsequent support. You know, looking at all that we encounter and all to which we are exposed, we can see where the interruptions in health might come and that can be overwhelming. It seems like I could have a treatment every 30 seconds, you know, based on that. But we are able to maintain for longer intervals when we do things that reduce the friction, you know, when we get our bearings straight. And I love the use of that word because it can mean those gears, you know, those metallic systems about which we're spinning, but it's also our orientation to the world around us. And when it's a little bit off, your flow, your ease in that current stops colds in its tracks. And personally, I felt that way a lot recently. It feels like you know, things are 10 degrees off. We have 
a lot of paintings in the office space that I share with one of my colleagues. He has an amazing art collection. And if I do ever get my own room, I will certainly miss his curation and may ask him to do so for my space. But one of the pictures right now has kind of come out of its matting and it's a little bit askew. And it's okay. It's kind of an Alice in Wonderland, Queen of Hearts picture, and maybe the askewedness is appropriate for that. But that 10 degrees off is kind of how I have felt in the universe or the universe has felt to me lately. And it can be really tiring. And I think about with patients, you know, if their gait is a little bit off, if they have some foot pain, and it means that with every step that they're taking, they're having to limp, even if it's a little bit, even if it's just subtle, even if only people closest to them would even notice that their gait had changed some, it's enough to throw off the entire system so much that it fatigues muscles unnecessarily, creates wear and joints that normally would not have the friction that they then experience. Same thing if we have restriction in our diaphragm, you know, the muscle that helps us to breathe and that in a much more subtle way. So gait, maybe we can observe, we can see it. If we have restriction in our diaphragm, we might not realize it. But then with every breath we take, which through the day with how much sitting we do, it can be much more frequent than than the number of steps that we take. We're creating dysfunction and dis-ease and reduced flow and reduced return of lymphatics. And that too kind of brings our health to a bit of a halt. And so what can you recognize? So first we need to identify, we need to have a diagnosis. We need to see what the problem is, where the restrictions are, where the obstructions might be in our environment before we can figure out how to remove them or to address them or to reorient ourselves to them or to shift our bearings around them or to create a different alignment, understanding that they're there. So I ask you, where in your life are there encounters that you bump into that stop you from carrying on in that current of health? Are they at work? Are they at home? Are they internal? Is it angst that you experience yourself? Is it a conflict that you experience between yourself and another person or a system or an institution or a culture? What are those counterpoints that bump back against you and cause you to change course, cause you to slow down, cause you to lose that momentum and interrupt your trajectory forward in, of, toward, through the health? I ask you to think about your bearings. Think of you as the fidget spinner. And are they smooth? Are things lined up? Are they high quality materials? You know, internally, is the physiology of your body being supported well by rest and exercise and nutrition and perhaps meditation or some mindfulness practice that helps you to feel restored? Is there grit in there? You know, maybe they're beautiful materials. I think about the racing bikes I've had in triathlon. And I've had some really lovely bicycles with high quality gears and brakes and shifting systems. But I admittedly have not been the best at caring for them. And so when they're dirty, it doesn't matter how fancy that equipment is. 
if I haven't taken the time to, you know, wash them and relubricate them and make sure that the chain is appropriately lined up, they aren't going to work as well as their potential might be. You know, these many thousands of dollars of pieces of equipment can be made relatively valueless if they're not cared for, if they're allowed to become grimy and gummy and they don't achieve the same speed, they can't put out the same amount of power. And are we doing that? Are we tending to our equipment? You know, the body that we have, the mind we have, the spirit we have, you know, it's beyond priceless. You know, it's beyond anything we could design. Are we caring for it so that we get the value out of this system? You know, are we dusting it off? Are we taking it in periodically to be tuned up and listening for the feedback? If we hear a squeak or a grind, do we address it? Do we ignore it? Do we just shift to a gear that doesn't quite yet have that restriction? Or do we stop and pause and ask why and make a correction and invest some time and energy and perhaps money into making it work better, making it work as it could or should? I think about how we're oriented to the world around us. And when things seem off, how do we correct for that? You know, do we take ourselves out of the situation? You know, is it, whoa, this is the wrong place and space and time and collective for me? Or do we say, this is where I am and this is the cohort with whom I am gifted? And how do I make internal adjustments or external adjustments of myself, of attitude, of perception, of perspective to more appropriately engage in a frictionless way. And one thing I think about with this is it doesn't mean being passive or just going along with or ignoring or suppressing or just keeping quiet, but how do you engage in a way that can be therapeutic for you, that can be enlightening for the whole, that can be from a place of contribution and sharing and authenticity, even if it doesn't necessarily agree. You know, it doesn't have to be the same. You don't have to assimilate. But can you share your perspective and your gifts and your understanding in a way that enhances the experience of the other and vice versa? Can you listen from a place of openness and understand that what people are bringing to you is theirs. It's their perception, it's their experience, it's through the lens of their life and listen for what you can gain from it. And I'm saying this very much to myself and learning to not take it personally, but to understand that we all have our own undercurrent and backstory to go along with that which we're telling ourselves and sharing with others how do we align with that better to allow us to keep spinning, to keep in the flow of health for as long and as powerfully and as potently as we can? Thinking about the spilling over effect and what are those external layers of insulation that we might need to keep us in the cup, to stop us from spilling over? to stabilize us, to absorb 
some of those shock waves of life. And how do we get there? How do we ask for the help that we need? How do we recognize that if it's just us, if we're just the exposed open layer of liquid black coffee in the cup, we are going to end up half empty before we even make it to the table, before anybody has a chance to appreciate what we have to offer them. So how can we create some of those layers of insulation? And again, some of them can come from within, seeing where the gaps are, how we can fill them ourselves. Some might need to be external. Hey, I need help with that. My husband has been out of town for work this week, and I am more often the traveler than the person who stays home whilst the spouse travels. And it's hard, and it causes me to need help. And I'm so grateful that the help not only says yes when asked, but it shows up before being asked, and it recognizes need. And the people here around me have been so gracious and kind. And it also requires me to leave kind of my orbit of usual behaviors and schedules and be more all-encompassing for my three children and to balance work and their school and activities and meals and things that are often held up by probably four of my bubble layers of foam, my husband's work and dedication to our family. So seeing when you need that insulation and perhaps you don't like a latte perhaps you don't like foam and you're okay just being that cup of coffee and maybe sometimes if you're really careful you can get it to the table with minimal spilling but maybe it also means if that's how it is you need to just stop where you are and allow for enjoyment and your fullest potential in that moment without extra steps on the journey to ensure the least amount of coffee overboard that we can. So all of that said, how often should someone seek or need or expect to receive or, or extend the benefit from osteopathic treatment? And my answer still is that it varies. And it varies based on your life experience all the way back to the beginning. You know, what foundation has been laid? How stable is that to support any corrections that might happen or any encouragement toward the health that takes place? It depends on the phase of your life. You know, what other stresses are posed on you, imposed on you, What exposures do you have to illnesses, to egregious events, to joy, to trauma? And how are those impacting your ability to seek health and to stay well? And physically, you know, what are you running into in your environment at work or at home? You know, what are those obstructions? What are those points of unexpected contact that shift your course and that create more friction. And it can change for each patient in various phases of life. Some people I might see weekly for a couple months, and then I won't see them again for a year. 
and they say, well, I was doing really well until this, until this moment. And it sometimes it's obvious, like a slip and fall and a trip and they fell onto their bottom and they have some restrictions. Sometimes they don't realize why they're there at that time until we start talking and we get into the history and you say, I was doing great until two weeks ago and, you know, just headaches came back and it seems unrelated to anything. But often there's an associated relationship, be it physically, be it nutritionally, be it emotionally, you know, be it stress-related or you know, a seemingly unrelated illness or exposure that could be a trigger, could be an anniversary of pain or of loss that brings symptoms back up for them. So paying attention to that and honoring that your needs will likely vary with the phase and stage of your life, and that's okay. And it's great if you can get through and need very infrequent treatment or very infrequent help in your life. And it's also okay if sometimes it's getting you through and it's keeping you away from things that might be otherwise relatively detrimental, though they may maintain function acutely in that moment. You're taking medications that aren't really intended for long-term use or beginning habits, you know, that can be detrimental to your health long-term or having to call in sick and stay off of work or miss school or seeing it fester and present in your relationships. You know, if we're not well and we're not feeling well, our ability to have patience and grace and space for our nearest and dearest people becomes less and less. And so if treatments can be part of supporting that, you know, find that frequency that allows you to spin as long as possible on the smoothest, most frictionless bearings as possible and to keep you fully at the best volume you can be in your cup. So that's my episode on physics and I'll share the links and I hope my colleague will listen and remember and appreciate and corroborate the story. And my last little note is shortly there after the original coffee moment, I was running while my middle son was biking with me and he had his helmet on and it wasn't quite working. So he put mine on and mine is a fancier helmet. I had it for racing. And he's like, you know, why is your so much pointier back here? And I said, well, you know, it just makes it faster. And, you know, with the air and friction, underestimating his nine-year-old brain, he's like, oh, you mean like for aerodynamic purposes? <laughs> and I said, yes, and you're very brilliant. And immediately then texted my friend and said, relayed the story. And she appropriately responded back, yes, physics, brilliant. So thank you for indulging me in the retelling of the tales. I hope there was some humor remaining for those who weren't there at the first moment. And perhaps it'll bring up a thought for you on how you can relate to your ability to stay in the current, to stay rolling as long as you possibly can, and to look for those opportunities to improve the fluidity of your gears, the orientation, the smoothness of the bearings of you to you the rest of your life. This is Dr. Amelia Beeky with This Osteopathic Life. Thank you for listening.